The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Lisa Lutan. She's an author. Uh, She is a healthy living strategist and founder of Healthy, Happy, and Hip, which provides one-on-one coaching, workshops, retreats, and support groups for clients. Uh, her new book, Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed, provides tools to help highly successful superwomen to slow down, chill out, and develop a better relationship with food and feel great. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Lisa. Thanks, Catherine. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Okay. Uh, I guess the implication is that we, and particularly women, have a poor relationship with food, which is not good for us, either physically or mentally. It's not good for our physical or mental health. So what are we doing? Why does this matter? And what should we do about it so we can lead a healthier lifestyle and also have a good relationship with food? Well, I think why it matters, (laughs) there's a lot of things in there. I think why it really matters is because we're torturing ourselves about it. And we're beating ourselves up about it. So it's, it's become so much more than just food and our health. And ideally, we want to eat foods that are healthy and that nourish us and so that we feel good and we can feel our best. But somewhere along the way, food has become very, very complicated for us. And it's become way more than just food. Okay. So it's not just about the food. No, it's really not just about the food. We have to really understand ourselves, and we have to look at why are we eating, what are we eating, how are we eating. We have to really look at everything to understand our relationship with food, not just the protein and the fats and the carbs. That's just one little piece of it. we, We do, and I think we have become food obsessed. Um, and I know, and you know, I had gone online and looked at you, and I and, and I sort of identified with some of the things that you do, and I I still do it, so that's why I'm really interested in you and the book. But waking up in the morning and weighing myself every single day, and I, I think you uh, it was on one of your sites and websites where you said, well, I wake up and if I'm I have a three pound leeway, and if I go you know a little bit above, it's a bad day, and I, I think that's where I am. So um, yeah, that and that's not good. That's not a good relationship with food necessarily. It's not a good relationship with your scale, for starters. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there's a chapter in the book called Do You Want to Impale Your Bathroom Scale? And the bottom line is that we really can't define ourselves by a number on a metal object. And some people use a scale in a healthy way. They check in periodically. They just want to see if they're within a range. But then there's other people that that scale dictates their happiness and their self-worth. And if the number is not where they want it to be, they feel horrible about themselves. And they start beating themselves up. And we get into that mentality of, oh, my 
God, I suck, I need to go on a diet, and then the whole thing starts. The moment we say, I need to go on a diet, all we do is think about food all the more. And so it perpetuates this cycle of, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I need to be better, I need to deprive myself to feel better. And when we deprive ourselves to feel better, we become more obsessed about it and we eat more, and it's a vicious cycle. And you, you talk about when, we, when we're stressed out, um, you know, it used to be uh, people would say, well, I, you know, you eat when you are uh, bored or you eat when you're, ang- you know, depressed, but we eat when we feel good, too, when we're happy, angry, sad, bored, relaxed, all of those things as you describe them. So, um, so what do we do? How do we get off of this cycle? You said it's a cycle, like it's a cycle of being obsessed with food in whatever mood we're in. So what do we do to kind of to step off the scale, literally? I think we have to take a look at what's going on around us. And first of all, we're in an age where food is just glorified. You know, you can't walk by a store and see cookbooks with magnificent photos of food. There's cooking shows on all the time that are showing us not really the healthiest, but really delicious comfort foods. You know, everywhere we go. And then if you look at social media, you really see food at its best. Um, You just look at Instagram or Facebook or Tumblr, and you see everything from kale chips to ooey, gooey, snickerdoodle-stuffed brownies to sushi burritos. And this is distributed daily, and it's called food porn for a reason. It really makes us want to eat more food. So in getting off this roller coaster... We have to understand what is happening around us and what's happening inside of us and why are we eating to begin with. I like to break it down into three reasons why we eat. Number one is hunger, which for many of us is only once in a while that we actually feel the hunger. Habit, which might be, oh, every time I go into Starbucks, I see pound cake and I want to have it. becomes a habit. And triggers. And I break triggers down to emotional triggers, which are we're happy, sad, angry, all the emotions, and chemical triggers. Sometimes we eat a food and we take that first bite and we can't stop. And it's all different for everyone, but for me that might be sugar. For someone else that might be bread. For someone else that might be wine. And so when we take the time to understand ourselves, then we know what's going on and we can move into a better relationship with food. Okay, so two things. Uh, what we, I mean, if what we do is we're using food, as you say uh, in your book, is kind of the drug of choice, and it, it, for it, some people, a, for some people, but not for everybody. Not for everyone. Okay, but then we need to understand what's going inside ourselves. So, what are those thought patterns we need to to, to, to change so that we won't? Well, we have to, to understand. The, yeah. Oftentimes. It's much easier to reach for a snack when we have this feeling of discomfort going on instead of saying, what's really going on? And I find for many women who are super, I call it super women, who are really busy with work and families and all of their obligations, sometimes you just need a break. And it's become socially acceptable to take a break to get a snack or to do something like that, but it might not be as acceptable to go read a magazine or take a walk or take a nap during the middle of the day. They'll feel guilty. And so 
we just hide what's really going on, what we really need by eating food. Oh, I'm, I'm not comfortable what I'm doing right now. I must be hungry. And I hear that again and again from clients. The other thing is sometimes we just don't want to really face what's going on, and so we stuff it down. We bury those emotions. And until we can really start feeling our feelings, then we can, once we start feeling our feelings, we can really nourish ourselves with what's going to make us feel better underneath. You know, if I'm feeling sad, maybe I need a hug. If I'm feeling tired, maybe I need a nap. It's all those types of things. So what we really want to do is we want to get to the root cause and really address the true situation, not just eat. So, Lisa, give us an example because obviously you do one-on-one coaching. I think I mentioned that earlier in the show, workshops, retreats, support groups, uh, different ways of coping with this issue or problem. So let's start like one-on-one coaching. You have a client who comes in. Um, what's the problem or the presenting problem? And then, you know, give us an example of, of what, how you would assess Okay, here's what a great would... example. Okay. So a um, woman comes in and she says, I'm just starving you know, every afternoon, every afternoon I'm starving all day long. And so what we might do is really delve into what's really going on in her life and not just with her food, but is she having enough fun? Is she having enough creativity in her life? Is she stressed about her finances? Is she continually learning new things? And um, one client, for example, was an art major in college and she loved that creative outlet, it was, um, it was wonderful, it was nourishing for her on many levels. And as she got older and had more responsibilities, she never had time to express herself create- creatively. So she found that when she added back some time in her day in the afternoon to take a little time for creative outlet, suddenly she wasn't hungry anymore in the afternoon. What happened was she just wasn't really enjoying what was going on for her during the day. She was a little bit lonely. She was tired. She was feeling a little bored in the afternoon, and she was using food. But once we found what what she was really hungry for, which in her case was creative expression, she could take some time to fulfill that need, and then she wasn't really hungry for food. She was hungry for that. What about her, like, because she just... Her, the client presented somebody who is overweight, do necessarily or not? It really doesn't matter. You know, I work with women in all shapes or sizes, and my feeling is if you get healthy, weight loss is a byproduct of being healthy. When we focus on weight loss, it's that same mentality that happens when we're obsessed with the number on the scale. We just start getting crazy and stressed out even more. So I like people to focus on adding things into their life, adding more nourishment in terms of fun, in terms of joy, and yes, in terms of vegetables too. But we look at it from just the whole person, not just the food piece. The type of food, though, is important, I think, according to, and I think it is, um, instead of walking into a grocery store, as you say, the woman at work who's super busy, just grabbing a a snack or something that's in the vending machine, which is, you know, a chocolate bar or whatever it is, potato chips, uh, which, by the way, is usually what is in the vending machine. Um, So sometimes it's even difficult to access an apple or a banana or good food, but 
that I would assume also helps to just change your body chemistry if you're eating the right kinds of food. I'm not saying use that as the main focal point, but that I would assume doesn't that have to be a part of it? Absolutely. And I'm a big proponent of real food as opposed to packaged food. And I do. I work with my clients to really start going back to basics, fruits and vegetables, proteins from a good source, healthy fats, all that type of thing. I think that it is critical. What about the woman who is, because we're talking about you, you, yourself as a recovered superwoman, so I'm picturing the superwoman, very busy, maybe somebody who's uh, in business, travels a lot, um, and says to you, I, you know, I just don't have access to good food all the time. I'm on the road, I'm, fl- I'm on a plane, I'm uh, at a business meeting, so what do I do? I'm a big proponent of packing a little cooler bag with you whenever you can, when you travel, whether that's in the morning for the day or even on a trip. And pack it with foods that are going to sustain you. If, you, if you're going to be eating them sooner, you can pack hard-boiled eggs, you can pack you know, some turkey, some hummus, some fruits, some vegetables. If you're going on a trip, at least you can pack some nuts in case you get into a bind. So being prepared is really, really important. And I also, I don't want to, I, I don't want to diminish the importance of food because it is a huge, huge piece. And what people don't realize is that if we're eating a donut every morning at breakfast, we're going to crave a donut every morning at breakfast. And if we replace that breakfast with maybe some eggs and spinach, within a couple days we're going to start craving eggs and spinach. So you've got to give yourself a chance to make some changes and realize that you do start really craving healthy food very, very quickly. And it's not this, oh, no, I can't have a donut. It quickly becomes, I don't want a donut. A donut is going to make me feel sluggish and tired, and a good healthy breakfast is going to make me feel clear and alert and productive. And when it gets down to it, we want to feel the best we can feel. And when we start paying attention to how foods make us feel, rather than how many calories or fat or this or that, we start feeling great and we gravitate more and more to healthy choices. Elise, I think that's so true because it just it's, well, that's what you were changing the habit. And it really doesn't take long to change that habit, to be craving spinach as opposed to be craving a Big Mac or, you know, a donut, as you say. Um, but, but one of the things, I guess this is, would be the medium to be able to do that, self-awareness, is mindful, mindfulness, mindfulness exercises. Well, how do you do those? What would you do? Do you do that within, it, if I were your client, or you would teach me how to do that when? At home, at work, or both? Well, what I like to do, most of the people come in and say, oh, my mind is racing too much. I could never be still. I just have one of those brains. And what they don't realize is that most of us have those brains. Our brains are designed to be busy, busy, busy. And so calming them down is really important. And in terms of our health, the reason I think it's so important is because then we can listen to what's going on in our body. And when we start listening to our body, our body will give us the clues as to what's going on. I said before, when we eat healthy food, we feel better. Well, if we're not paying attention, we're not even going to realize that we're feeling better. So that's one of the reasons why it's so important to be mindful. 
I like to teach people how to mindfully eat, and it's really just eating with awareness. When we grab something and eat in the car and we're thinking about a million things, we have no satisfaction about that food that we actually ate. Whereas if we're sitting down, we're looking at it, we're smelling it, we're tasting it, we have an overall more satisfying experience and it's more fulfilling for us as a meal. And we digest better because we're relaxed. We're not stressed out. But to your other point about how do you start with that is just start with some deep breathing. Just start with a couple deep breaths just to be present. Just going, okay, where am I? I'm right here. I'm right here, right now. What am I doing? I'm eating. What am I doing? I'm walking. It's an awareness of where you are at that moment. This is the kind of thing, obviously, that you do one-on-one on on your one-on-one coaching, but your workshops, retreats, support groups, I mean, those are kind of three different types of groups. I'm curious as to what you would do, for instance, um, in a support group for clients. So you're going to have how many uh, clients would you have and, 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 and what would be different than, say, one-on-one coaching if I came to you as an individual? So I have a, a group called Healthy Connections, and that particular group we do meet in person, and that's what I call the support group. And we never even talk about food. Actually, it's really interesting because my philosophy is that to be healthy, it takes quite a bit more. And we will, every time they show up, they don't know what's in store for them. It might be a session on mindfulness. It might be a session on connecting. I'm a huge believer that in this time when we've never had more ways to be connected through texting and email and social media, we are less connected than ever. And I think we're lonely, and I think we're sad. And we think that everyone else is fine, and we are the only ones that are feeling this. And so when I bring people together, my goal is for them to realize that they're not alone. They're not alone in their struggles. They're not alone in their suffering. They're not alone in their joy. And what we try to do is connect on a deeper level to understand and feel safe that what they're going through, other people understand and can support and help each other in the process. I love that group. It's a beautiful experience. Well, when you say we're not connected, we think we're connected. So We, we think we, we're connected. We think but, we're connected, but we're really not connected. I, I want to kind of explore that with you further, exactly what that means. Because, yes, I think, well, now I can connect with friends, family, anywhere in the world. Um, and I feel connected, but that, say on my cell phone or iPad or whatever it is, but that's not true. Why isn't it true? Why aren't we connected that way? My theory is that we live in an age of going back to the superwoman that we need to appear perfect to the world. We need to look great. We need to be successful. We need to be super smart. We need to be thin. We need to be gorgeous. We need to be just this magnificent being. You know, that's what we're getting messages all the time. And when we put that persona out to the world, it's really hard for us to be vulnerable. And it's in our vulnerability that we truly connect with people. And so unless you're in a situation or you have a person you feel close with where you can really share what's really going on for you, you might talk to people, you might be with people, but you're not going to feel connected to those people. 
So, one, yeah, one presents themselves in a certain way, and it's, it is what I, this is what I, I think you're saying. You present yourself, you know, an email. I mean, you have a chance to write it and rewrite it and make sure that it, it, it sounds good. You appear, mm-hmm. and no one's going to know the difference just through an email or a voice, you know, voice message or whatever. So very different than in person. In person or just it doesn't even necessarily. We could be having a phone conversation or we could be connecting, but the key is to be real and authentic. And I have found um, when I write, the more honest and authentic that I can be about my own struggles, the more people relate to it. They don't want to say, I don't want to go out there and say, my life is perfect, everything's great. That's pretty boring. But when I say I struggle with this and other people go, wow, I struggle with that too, suddenly they feel less alone in their struggles and we feel more connected. And that's what I try to do with all my writing is to say, look, on the outside you might look at me and you might think this and this, but this is what's going on for me for real. And this is what's going on for other people too. I understand you. I get it. You are not alone. When did you come to that realization, like your own personal story, you're a superwoman, um, when did you, and I guess, were you in pain, were you food obsessed, or where were you in your own life when you decided, hey, I need to take a look at this and be aware of what I'm doing and how I relate to, to food and my life? Well, my story is actually quite powerful. Uh, when I was 23 years old, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit, you know, as a teenager, I was realizing that I didn't feel like I was quite interesting enough. I wasn't a dancer, I wasn't a musician, I wasn't an athlete, and I felt like I wasn't really all that interesting. I was just this smart girl who didn't really have any special things. And so to hide that really deep pain, I thought if I did interesting things, that would cover that up and I'd always have things to talk about. And I started just getting really busy I was, you know, a student officer, and I had a job, and I founded a club, and I planned the prom, and I was, I was that girl who was really in charge of everything, and that continued even more so in college. I worked three jobs. I was doing this and this and this. So at 23 years old, when I co-founded a technology company with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, I was really in full-blown superwoman mode, and I worked crazy, crazy hours. I did not take care of myself. I ate crappy food. You know, often dinner was Ben and Jerry's ice cream with two spoons. These were the days that it was not cool, like it is now to have a startup in your 20s. And the pressure was just relentless. And even though I felt horrible and I was miserable, I just said to myself, suck it up. It's just stress. No big deal. You can deal with it. Well, then, at 31 years old, with my second baby that I had just had and I just moved into a new house, I collapsed. I literally was rushed to the hospital thinking that I was having a stroke. And it was the most terrifying experience of my life. Um, They did not know what was wrong with me. They did some tests. I was a mess. They said, oh, it's probably just stress. And hearing those words which I had heard over and over my whole life, it broke me. It totally broke me. It threw me into a deep, dark depression. I was suffering terribly with these stroke-like symptoms. 
I had no idea what was going on. And after doctors couldn't tell me what was wrong, I decided I had to figure it out all by myself. And I started paying attention to everything. I paid attention to what I was eating, sleeping, my stress levels, caffeine, meditation, you name it. And for 20 years, I became my own human experiment. And down the road, I did go back to school and I studied integrative holistic nutrition. But by that point, I felt like I could have written the book already because I was my own guinea pig. And then when I started seeing clients, it was very, very quickly because I could bring that real-life, busy superwoman experience to the table and say, I get it. I'm that story. What happens if you don't listen to yourself? I'm the uh uh-oh story. And so it was a really huge turning point for me and a wake-up call that I did not pay attention. I did not listen to my body, and I paid the price in a huge way. I would assume, and we only have a couple more minutes left, that the impact that that had on, well, you said you had your second baby, your relationship with your husband, um, that all must have been very positive. I mean, to, you're tell, you know, that's, well, you becoming aware of yourself and it's really self-help at that point, but um, that must have really impacted you, I mean, with your relationship with your family in a good way. Well, in the beginning, it was a really tough way because I was always a super cool superwoman, and all of a sudden, I was not, and that was really hard for the people around me who were used to seeing me as super strong. But on my journey, as I realized, I had to take my suit of armor off And I had to become vulnerable and I had to become real to get well. And the more and more I stripped the armor, the more and more I was able to help those around me. And I became just a positive role model. And I did. I helped my family just by taking care of myself. And they could see how important that was, that that wasn't a selfish act, that that was something we all need to do. We all need to love ourselves, take care of ourselves, and then we can be that superwoman, really. We can be the best wife and the best mother and the best worker or employee and everything. That's how we truly help people. I think that's very true and just sort of uh, having to end the interview. I think that whole concept of the superwoman really does get in our way. As you say, you were the, you're the strong person, you're the smart person, and you kind of, one can get off on that, that you're, you know, you're the person that everybody, you're the go-to person, whether it's at work or with your friends. And um, that can be a high, not necessarily a healthy one, but sort of an addictive high. Um, so I think weaning yourself from that is not easy. No, it's really hard. But it's so wonderful when you can. It really is a quite liberating feeling when you can just start saying, this is who I am, this is who I really am, and I'm okay with that. Well, it's been great talking to you today, and so I hope this is, an, and I'm sure it will be, an inspiration for all those who have been listening, um, and not just listening to the show, but buying your book, uh, Busy, Stress, and Food Obsessed. Lisa Luton, who is also, you walk the walk, I guess, and talk the talk, as they say. So, um, and another, not just your book, but also, can you give us information if one wanted to attend coaching, workshops, you know, your support groups? 
Absolutely. The best way to get in touch with me is on my website, which is healthyhappyandhip.com. And I recommend you sign up for my newsletter. I share more about myself, my writing. I give tips and recipes and all sorts of information about my programs um, when you sign up for that newsletter. And, um, and also reach out. Ask me questions. I love connecting with people. I love hearing stories and, and being there. I think this is Great. really, really an important thing that we come together and connect and share. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning, Lisa. Lots of good oh, information. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to take a short break now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. 
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me this morning is Lisa Nichols. Lisa is the New York Times best-selling author of No Matter What and the recurring motivational speaking coach in the Steve Harvey Show and the Today Show. Uh, she's one of only two African-American female founders to take her own company, Motivating the Masses, Inc., public. Uh, her new book is Abundance Now, Amplify Your Life and Achieve Prosperity Today. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Lisa. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. Okay, so we're going to be talking about abundance now, amplify your life, and achieve prosperity today. Um, I really don't know anyone who doesn't want to do that, but we don't necessarily (laughs) know how to do it, but you've done it. So you've had your own personal experience in terms of kind of being really uh, on public assistance, uh, really at the bottom of the rung, and... Yeah, and brought yourself out of that. Yeah. So maybe we should start with your yeah. own story. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a really dark time. You know, people look at my life today and they they just see that. And I go, wait a minute. In 1994, I was on public assistance. I was broke and broken. I was on WIC, women, infant, and children, which I was. It was a blend. I was ashamed to be on, but I was grateful to have the help. Uh, when my son was eight months old, I went to the ATM to get money out so I could buy him Pampers. And I didn't have enough in to get $20 out. I had $11.42. And I ended up having to wrap my son in a towel for two days. And that was the moment I said, okay, I, I, I don't want to have this experience for the next 20 years. It's not fair to my son, and it's not something I desire. So I began to pursue what does it take to change my life because I, I knew that I had more in me. I had more in me than I was showing up, but I didn't know how to get out of my own toxic behaviors. I didn't know how to, how to get around my own chaos that I was creating. I didn't know what I didn't know, so I had to go learn something new. And so that was the turning point, 1994. And I, from that point on, I began to study abundant thinkers, study successful people, but successful people in different areas, not just money, but successful people who had successful parenting experiences, successful spirituality where they were grounded and they were, they were centered, um, people who were physically successful, meaning they just had a fit life. I just wanted, I wanted to say, why not have it all? Why not? Why not me? Why not you? Why not us? You know, and, and I, I, I equated to I, it only could be that I don't know what I don't know. So I went out and I pursued learning what other people knew that I didn't. I think it's interesting, Lisa, because people, when they're in your position, when you can only wrap a towel around your baby, your baby boy, um, tend to think perhaps more in terms of how can I make more money? It's all, you know, how can I find out or learn about people who rose to the top in terms of income and money? But yours was a very different kind of, to me, revelation or discerning moment because wanting to see how people are just successful in different areas. 
How did you do that? Where were you living and who were you living with? Well, I was in South Central Los Angeles at the time, and um, I lived on my own initially. And I ended up moving in with a, a girlfriend so that I could save more money. And I, the first book I picked up was Stephen, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's where I went. I felt like I went to uh, Stephen Covey's school, but literally it was in a book. It was, I took the book seriously, which is why when I write, I wrote no matter what, and, and the way I wrote Abundance Now was so that you can have applied learning. Like I give you exercises. I do that because Stephen Covey did it for me. And, and I literally began to shift my life's experience, shift my mindset, shift what I believe, because I did every single exercise. Now, it took me like eight months to finish the book. But by the time I finished the book, I was literally thinking different. Nothing happened financially then, because yet, because the first thing before you transform your life financially and physically, you have to really transform your mindset. So... <clears throat> I studied out of books. I went to conferences where you can go to a, a two-hour experience for free. You know, I was real big on how do I get access to things without resources because I didn't have any resources. Um, I began to look at who talked about money. And I'll be quite honest with you. In my community, the only conversation about money was there isn't enough of it. It's hard to get. You know, it's divisive. It's the root of all evil. You know, and so I thought, okay. I've mastered that conversation. Now let me go find another conversation about money. <laughs> so you're going, you're switching. Uh-huh. This is what you're describing is kind of a defeatist attitude, and you have Absolutely. to... Tra- yeah. Absolutely. So I went in pursuit of an attitude of possibility, not even quite knowing what was over there. I just went, okay, I got this attitude. We, I've mastered this. this. It was a geographical conversation, a cultural conversation, and I wanted to know what do others think. So I went to conferences where I was the only woman. I was, the on, I was one of three women, and I was the only person of color. So it was prim- primarily all older white men, and they were quite comfortable talking about money, quite comfortable talking about success, quite comfortable talking about building businesses and enterprises. And I just hung with them for a long time, just kept going back and studying. I started volunteering at the conference so I can, com- I can go back for free. <laughs> I went over and over and over again. Many of those uh, men became like my big brothers over the years. And so I just began to um, n- learn the thing that I didn't know. And then I adopted it. Then I took it on. Then I pursued it. Then I got excited about it. Then I got hungry for it. And then I began to learn it. Then I began to apply it. And then I began to see the results. And once I start seeing the results, I got really excited, and then I went after it. I began to write myself a check every two weeks because I kept hearing over and over and over again, your freedom and your future will cost you. You have to be prepared to purchase it. And so, right, so I you have to invest in yourself. You have to invest you have in yourself. To. You have to. If you won't invest in yourself, how can you dare ask me to invest in you? If You should be the first investor in your dream. I don't care if it's $10,000 or $10, you should be the first investor. And investment isn't just money. It's time, it's energy, it's hope. I would go to, I had no money, but I would do all the homework. Someone said, go figure out what you want to do. Who's your target market? How are you going to transform lives? And I would go do it and bring it back. And people saw that I was investing time in my own dream, so then they gave me time. And so people are going to follow your lead. Whatever you do for you, 
people are going to follow that. If you don't give yourself any rest time, if you think you can handle everything, we're going to follow your lead. And so do you I think, Lisa, I have, because you have, and I can hear it in your voice, I mean, you obviously have a certain personality that would draw people to you. Do you think that's necessary? I mean, what about the person who maybe is more introverted, maybe doesn't have a, you know, an outgoing personality like you do? You said you went, you, you know, to the meetings, you volunteered there, you met these, you know, successful old white men and they became your big brothers and but you had to have something that was you know that they wanted to connect to um and maybe not everyone has that well you know the the reason why i want to be really clear the reason why i distinct uh, distinguish that they were older successful white men because that wasn't convenient for me i was afraid Here I was, African-American woman, born and raised in South Central Los Angeles. So I had all this chatter. Will they accept me? Will they like me? Will they believe in me? Will they trust me? Will they teach me? And so I give the the cultural origin so you can understand that I was willing to be inconvenienced. I was willing to be afraid. So I get that everyone's not like me. And... My grandmother says your conviction and your convenience will not live on the same block, will not even live in the same zip code. (laughs) So are you willing to stretch beyond your comfort zone? So I get that in your everyday life experience, you're not an extrovert. Or you might be an introvert posing as an extrovert. Or you might even have the label shy. Are you willing, if that dream in your belly requires you to step out of your comfort zone, are you more committed to staying comfortable or are you committed to your conviction and that transformation that's waiting for you? So it's not, a, it's not about what can you do within your comfort zone? What can you do that's not difficult? See, I, I forfeited the, the desire to stay comfortable and then the whole, everything was available to me. Now what was next was, what do I need to do? Because I was willing to live in a constant state of cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is when your existing behaviors are actually incongruent with the way you see yourself. And when you keep yourself in a state of cognitive dissonance, you're constantly seeing yourself beyond where your behaviors are and your mind is in a place of discomfort. So your mind begins to push you to deliver the behaviors that match the way you see yourself. Well, in doing that, I mean, that is a, not an easy task to do, and obviously you are consistent and you continue to do it. Um, but then how do you take that from building a company that becomes a public company? Uh, I mean, I, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, that is a very impressive task. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if I mentioned the title founder and chief executive officer of motivating the masses. I think I did. But I mean, that's a public company. That's a big leap. I mean, talk to us about that. Yeah, that, that, that's a Grand Canyon leap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's about being willing to be responsible for something bigger than us. I, I think when we all, when we get consumed with how difficult something is, We've made it just about us. Going public has a lot to do with Lisa, but it has more to do with every single person like you and others who go, 
wow, if you did that, then what can I do? Like the journey from public assistance to going public, from welfare to Wall Street. And remember, I'm a C student. Like in school, I never got a grade higher than a C plus, ever, ever, all the way through my short stint in college. I never got a grade higher than a C in college, in school. And the last time I took an English class, I got a fail. And you said, the last time I took a speech, I got a D minus and was told I should never speak in public. And to do this was about validating an industry called training and self-development. I'm the only company in the training and self-development industry today that's a publicly held company. And it was about recognizing that I can build my business, and I have built my business on what I call shoestring, bubblegum, duct tape, and Band-Aids. And, and I built a viable business that now Wall Street can participate in. But the other, and so I wanted to financially infuse my company, and I was a responsible CEO. See, I was born to be an orator. I was born to talk. I mean, I used to get in trouble in school for talking too much. So you're right. This is who I am. But I was not born to be a CEO. So again, this opportunity shows other people you can learn the skill set required to transform your life. I learned how to be a CEO. I learned how to run a multi-million dollar company. I learned how to run it so well that I could take it publicly. What can take it public? What can you do? So 50% of the reason why I went public was the financial infusion because we could not keep up with our own growth. We need to financially infuse it to add more staff, to get bigger offices, which is a quality problem to have. The other 50% of why I went public was so that every entrepreneur that touches the story, sees the story, hears the story, gets in the same, you know, atmosphere as the story, can be inspired. They may not want to go public, but somewhere in between, public assistance and Wall Street is where they want to be. And so I felt like it was, and it was hard. I mean, it, it is. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't shift. I mean, when you're being, you know, looked at by the SEC and you're on Wall Street and everything's public, it's not an easy journey, but it's a, it's a rewarding journey. Um, it's one that feeds so many people possibility that it becomes significantly bigger than me. Lisa, do you ever, having achieved all this, and here you are, CEO of, of a, a major public company, are there any moments like now that you sit back and, I mean, there, the fear creeps in, what am I doing, how did I do this, and I really, did I really do this? You know, some of those kinds of uh, feeling that, you know, something could happen, I could go back and be on public assistance again, does that ever happen? Um, so do I get afraid? Yeah. <laughs> All the time. All of the time. Um, I never, ever think I'm going to be on public assistance because I made my son Jelani a promise that I would never be there again. And I, I, I'm comfortable with that will never happen again. But am I nervous? Do I get frightened by how big I play? Yeah, absolutely. I would not be telling the truth if I told you no. And everywhere... And anywhere you see me being interviewed, if someone asks me, you're going to hear yes. And I know at times that deflates people's expectation of me because they think, you know, they, you know, they put me on a pedestal at times and go, she could do it and she's not afraid. I never told you I wasn't afraid. I just said I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm just going to do it afraid. And I think the power of embracing your fear means that you don't have to wait for it to dissipate to move. See, we treat fear like it's the enemy. Fear is not the enemy. 
It's the way we allow fear to paralyze us. Fear is not the enemy. What we allow fear to do to us can become an enemy experience. Fear is our friend. Fear feeds you. Fear says, get up early. Fear says, study. Fear reminds us to stay humble. Fear reminds us to get a friend. Fear reminds us to have an accountability partner. Fear reminds us that we don't know everything. Fear feeds us the emotional feeling that we need to do something. So fear fear is a away. motivating factor. Fear shouldn't fear. paralyze us, but fear needs to motivate us. But now you, when you have some fear, when you fear or you're fearful, uh, who do you go to? Who, I mean, who are your, uh, who are the, who's your support? Who can you sit down and talk to uh, about, about your fears or about things that you're uncomfortable with or whatever? I mean, where does Lisa go? Um, I go to a number of people. I've set up what I call um, an accountability community, and these are Rocket Booster friends, and I talk about Rocket Booster friends in the book. I talk about how do you identify your Rocket Booster friends, and then what do you do with your Rocket Booster friends. So I talked about um, the gentleman that I would study from years ago who now become like my big brothers. They literally have been um, coaching me informally, uh, listening to me, tolerating me, uh, supporting me for over 15 years. Uh, I have, it's a small circle, maybe six people. It's not a lot. And I go to them for different reasons. So I have a spiritual advisor. She's been my, and I adopted her as my spiritual advisor. She's not official spiritual advisor. She just is so anchored in her spirituality that she's further along than I am. So I adopted her and asked her, can I, can I sit down with you when I need to get anchored in my spirituality? Can you remind me of my divine assignment? Can you remind me of what God has in store for me? Can you remind me of who I've been designed to be by my birth? She said yes. So for the last nine years, ten years, that's been who she has been in my life. I have someone who helps me with my business. I have someone who helps me just in my family life, reminds me of the mother that I said I wanted to be 12 years ago. And anytime I, I'm challenging that, they anchor me back. Anytime I question that, doubt that, they anchor me back in who I am as a mom. They remind me of the things I've done with my son, Jelani. When I start beating myself up, they go, no, 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 hold on. Let me show you. Let me show you what you've done with your son. So they keep me grounded and they keep me accountable. And so I have a place to go and I'm comfortable going there and I'm comfortable putting down the superhero cape, taking off the, you know, washing the S off my chest and allowing my ordinary to exist so that my extraordinary can always come back. So anyone who's listening to you, uh, that would be a key factor, wouldn't it? Having those kinds Absolutely. of support. And probably Absolutely. Never- I'm sorry to cut you off. Absolutely. No, because it's, it's it's not without, a- without that, I mean, it, I think sometimes, you know, you're talking about the superhero, the superwoman, uh, we yeah. we have to do it by ourselves and absolutely and don't reach out and connect to those the, the well you said we'll say four people are very significant but you need at least two it would seem to me absolutely you do and my grandmother says that we make the mistake at times of reading our own press we begin to read our bios and we listen to what people say about us and we begin to think we don't need help. We don't think about it consciously. It really is an unconscious thing because we're servers. And so we go, no, 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 don't worry about me. I'm fine. How many times have we said that? No, 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 don't worry about me. I'm fine. When in fact, we need someone to be vested in our, 
our, our mental stability, our emotional stability, our physical and financial stability. They don't have to invest anything, you know, physically, meaning put money up, or, but they need to go, I'm watching you. I have someone who texts me while I'm on this book tour every other day at least. Some days she texts me twice a day. And the, the text is very simple. She says, hydrate, rest, take five deep breaths. She just reminds me. And I literally would text back, breathing, sipping, <laughs> like one word. Her investment in me is my well-being during this tour. So not only do you need someone as a safe space to go, but you also need someone, and most of the time it's the same person, someone who's willing to hold you accountable to the woman you said you want to become. See, when we have someone holding us accountable, we are literally 80% more likely to be and stay in action than we would if we didn't have someone. It's the coach. It's the coach that we all need. It's, I think an example is you don't, you can't be a winning swimming team or a football team without a coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, and have, you know, we only have a couple minutes left, but I just want to end this. Wow. I, already. Say, I know it went by very quickly, but you mentioned grandmother and it seems like grandmothers also has been there for you uh, and, and very significant in terms of what you've been able to do and achieve. Yes. And I want to be really clear that if someone doesn't have a grandmother in their lives, I've, I've surrounded myself by wisdom. My grandmother said when I was 24, she said, baby, you can go get all the knowledge in the world through those books, but you can only get wisdom with time on earth. And so I, I learned very early the distinction between knowledge and wisdom, and I want both. And so I surround myself with people who are senior in age, and I listen, and I'm, I learn, and I take them on walks. And on walks, they pull me, <laughs> and I call them periodically. And I just have developed these friendships, many with the, the men I told you about from when I was first starting out. Many are in their 70s and in their early 80s, and I still call them. I spend I think time it's with so them. Important I a- that you, we have 30 seconds left, but I just want oh my to respond God. to it. Yeah, because I think in this age of kind of uh, people don't want to be with older people or don't think they have anything to say or uh, don't seek their wisdom in, in hearing what you have to say about um, uh, connecting with those people who have been your mentors, older people. I think that's really important. I, I want to mention your book again because, uh, you know, Abundance Now, Amplify Your Life and Achieve Prosperity Today. Lisa Nichols, uh, just give us the website so that people can go to your website as well and uh, you can buy the book Absolutely. online, bookstores everywhere. Absolutely. I'm really excited because for the first time in my company's history, we're actually opening our doors up for people to come into our trainings for free. Um, because I want to pay it forward. So if you go to joinlisafree.com, joinlisafree.com, your book is your ticket. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Again, very, very informative. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day. We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and uh, you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. 
Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.